Welcome to the Wake Before the Day podcast with my parents, Clark and Bobby. We'll talk about the Bible and the Holy Spirit adventures. Thanks for listening. Hey, what's up, my friends and my family? Welcome to the podcast. It should be Friday if you're listening to this when it's released. And we're continuing to work our way through the Gospel of Mark. And today we're looking at Mark chapter 6. Uh, before we dive into the actual chapter, I want to read you an article. Uh, in the mid-2000s, a man was diving off the Philippines. It says he was a fisherman. This is where he would fish often. He would dive down, uh, spearfish, a number of things like this. One day he found this huge, oddly shaped thing. Uh, they described it as an amoeba. It had blobs and folds everywhere. It was quite large. He didn't know what to do with it. So he took his unusual find. He brought it home. He put it under his bed. About a decade later, the guy moved, and he had no use for it. He didn't know what it was. And so he took it to the local tourism office. He gave it to them. Turns out, later on, it is the world's largest pearl, with an estimated worth of roughly $100 million. I begin by telling you this because it's easy to miss the value of something when we don't understand fully what it is. Um, when you look at Mark 6 and how this story begins, Jesus is about a year, probably a year and a half into his ministry, and he returns back to his hometown of Nazareth. When he goes there, he meets people that he probably recognized and grew up with. He probably played with their kids. And when he was speaking and preaching and looking to heal the sick, they rejected him. They said, isn't this Jesus Christ, the, the same kid who grew up here? You know, the, the son of his mother, Mary? And so this is how Mark 6 begins. It says, Jesus left and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom, and what's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do miracles there except lay on hands and a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So when you read this, Jesus was being obedient to the mission that the Heavenly Father laid before him. Go preach the gospel, heal the sick, preach about the kingdom of God, and invite people into repentance and believing. But these people rejected him. And I want to encourage you, God can do things in and through people that we you know, have known for tons of years. I remember a couple years ago, I think I shared this in a sermon. I was catching up with one of my siblings who was back in town and talking to them about their Bible study. They were talking about some of their friends who were in the Bible study, and they said this one kid's name, and I was really surprised. I was like, he's in your Bible study? That's crazy. Like, I would never in a million years have thought that. And in my heart, I automatically went back to who I knew this young man to be in high school, and I was convicted of that. Like, shame on you, Clark. Don't you know that people can change in the course of, you know, <laughs> 15, 20 years? And I was thinking, I hope people don't hold things I did in middle school and high school against me today. I'm a changed man. And so, you know, these people didn't look at Jesus differently in the midst of his powerful teaching and his powerful healing. But Jesus didn't allow rejection to stop him. He was continuing the mission he was given. 
He was staying the course. And so I want to give that word to you today. Don't let rejection keep you from doing the work of God. Jesus experienced rejection left and right from people who even loved him. Some of his brothers didn't believe in him. James is biblically writing and you know in there saying he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't believe who Jesus was. And he later on then not only is converted to Christianity, but ends up writing a biblical letter and preaching and teaching and telling everybody about who Jesus was, given his life for him. So don't let rejection keep you from, from what God's called you to do. Seeking to pray for people, inviting them to church. Easter is on Sunday. Good Fridays tonight. It's a great chance to invite people to come to worship. But don't let that fear of, ah, what are they going to say to me? Are they going to think I'm weird? Go for it. Just trust that the Lord's going to use you. Now, when this passage, you look at it closely, verse 5 has a little perplexing word. It says he could not do miracles there. Well, he actually did do miracles. He was healing the sick. It seems more like he would not do miracles. God could have done a number of different things, and he already was performing miracles of healing. But he was amazed by their lack of faith and said, I'm moving on to people who are open and willing and desiring the kingdom of God. Now, you see Jesus' model of leadership development, or the biblical word would be discipleship, in the next pericope, kind of verses, end of verse 6 through verse 13. Jesus then goes out, and he's teaching from village to village, and he's already called the 12 to him, a number of his disciples, and now he's going to unleash them and say, now it's your turn to go out and do everything that I've taught you. This is what he says in verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. Take nothing for your journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so the disciples then go out, they preach, they preach that people should repent. They drove out demons, they anointed people with sick, and they healed them. And so there's this leadership pendulum that Jesus does, and I would encourage you to do as well. Whether you're a parent or you are a teacher or you work in some kind of trade or office or even when it comes down to straight spiritual discipleship, a leader begins by leading. And a real leader should be able to say, do as I do and uh, you know, say it, speak as I speak. Do as I say. How the hell does that line go? You know what I'm talking about, right? Do as I do, speak as I speak, say as I say. I'm having a, a, a moment right now. But you, you get the point. You get the point. Where Jesus in this pendulum essentially says, here, I want you guys to watch me and uh, watch me lead and you watch. And then I'm going to lead and you're going to help. And then you're going to lead and I'm going to help you. And then you're going to lead and I'm going to watch. It's like the pendulum goes from Jesus doing everything to inviting the disciples in to help him a little bit to then the disciples leading and Jesus helping. And then Jesus unleashing them and sending them out and him backing off, sending them out two by two. And so when it comes to, you know, talking to your kids around the dinner table, maybe instead of mom and dad always reading the Bible story every night, turn it over to them. When it comes to leading a small group or participating in some kind of group function, if you're a leader, maybe you back up and say, hey, you know, Juan or Susie, I want you to lead tonight. And you explain them what they're going to do. And you give them time in advance so they're prepared, they notice. But that's how discipleship is done. Where, you know, do as I say, do as I do. And eventually that baton's passed off and that's where the multiplication applies. The disciples are sent out two by two and more disciples are made. What happens now in the rest of this chapter is Jesus goes through um, 
like a sad moment when his cousin John the Baptist is killed, but then he has moments of rest and then moments of work where he has crowds of people coming to him and he's ministering and serving and loving. And then you see Jesus follow his rhythm of life and seek a, a time of rest. So if you go to like verse 31, um, 30 and 31, Jesus feeds the 5,000. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that he had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't have enough chance to eat, Jesus said, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest. And so Jesus and the disciples seek out a solitary place where they can kick their feet up, close their eyes, rest, catch up, probably debrief on the day. But then what happens is the crowds eventually find them. He feeds the 5,000, probably many more people than that. So you have a, a very climactic, a very big moment coming out of a, a period of rest where Jesus is preaching and teaching and healing and feeding and serving. So many good things. But then you jump to verses 45 and 46 as a transition from the feeding of the 5,000 to the next scene. 45 and 46 reads, Immediately Jesus made his disciples then get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So what you see throughout Jesus' life is rest, ministry, rest, ministry. We've already had a few chapters that talked about the Sabbath where God instructs us as part of the Ten Commandments that we're to take one out of seven days and dedicate that day to God. We're worshiping Him, we're being mindful of Him, we're resting, and we're enjoying things that He's given us that give us life. That's what Sabbath is. It's about God, it's for God, it's the things that God made we use for His glory as acts of worship. Again, whether it's something like surfing, or cooking, or reading a book, or even watching a movie, sleeping in a little bit, those are all acts of worship when you're done focused on the Lord. So Jesus goes through rest and work and rest and work. The problem is, as Americans, that's foreign to many of us. We have, obviously, one extreme where people are lazy. On the other hand, people work, work, work. As a hamster on a wheel, they just keep going and keep grinding. Maybe you take some time today and, and reflect on your last week. Where have you rested? Where have you worked? And maybe you have a good balance right now. Maybe the Lord's inviting you into something a little bit better. I'm not sure what it is, but when you look at Jesus' example, it's an example that you and I should follow. So, thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. This is Mark 6, and again, you have 50-some verses of jam-packed action. People are rejecting Jesus. Don't let that rejection stop you. Jesus sending out the 12 in his leadership development, two by two. You have Jesus going through the loss of John the Baptist, him feeding the 5,000, him walking on water. Jesus healing all who touch him. Jesus was constantly going and loving, and serving, and also resting. So take some time to ponder these words from Mark 6. I pray you'd meet the Lord. Again, remind you that if you are listening to this when it is released, we have Good Friday services tonight, and we have a number of Easter services on Sunday. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God bless you, and we hope to see you there. The Lord bless you and keep you. Don't make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give him his peace. Have a great day.